Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, POTS patients and nice people who care about POTS patients. I'm Lindsay Nakagawa, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. Today's episode is special because we are speaking with Jill and her husband, Mike. You may recognize Jill's voice as one of our regular interviewers here on the POTS cast. Jill is a valued member of the Standing Up to POTS board and is largely responsible for helping to connect us with POTS experts, researchers, and members of our medical advisory board. Jill earned degrees from Princeton University and UCLA with concentrations in statistics and health psychology, and has worked for over 20 years providing nutrition consulting and research. She is a nutrition consultant to the Dysautonomia Clinic and volunteers as an assistant and statistician to several POTS experts. Mike is Jill's husband of 21 years. He works as a health data analyst for the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and is the creator of PatientsCount.org, which helps dysautonomia and mast cell activation syndrome researchers collect and analyze data. Together, Jill and Mike have developed mobile apps to help patients, including the Standing Test for POTS app. Mike and Jill are also responsible for those adorable doodle-through cartoons you may have seen on our Standing Up to POTS social media. Thanks for joining us today, Jill and Mike. Thank you for having us. It's fun to be on the other side. Thanks, Lindsay. So, Jill, I'd like to start with you and just get to know a few basics about you. What is your age? Where did you grow up and where do you live now? I'm 48. I grew up in Middleton, Wisconsin on a nice lake. And now I live in Truckee, California, except when the wildfire smoke is bad, in which case then we go all around the place looking for clean air. So we are currently not in Truckee and probably won't be for goodness knows how long. I think it's important to remember that we're more than just our illness. So I like to start by just getting to know Jill the person a little bit before we get to know Jill the POTS patient. What are some of your favorite activities or hobbies? Ooh, my favorite activities and hobbies would be definitely hiking and cross-country skiing with Mike. I think in his episode, we described how he makes it possible for me to cross-country ski. I'm pretty obsessed with dogs and health food. And what else do I like to do? I think Jill likes everything that keeps her circulation going pretty much at a (laughs) sort of a constant rate. It's sort of a theme with her. I know we want to talk about me outside of the pots, but I have to (laughs) say that when you've had it for so long and it affects your circulation every second, I honestly don't even know what I like anymore (laughs) versus what just feels good. I think it's been a little bit of a Pavlovian experiment on me for the last 20 years. So at this point, that's what I think I like. I mean, the the journey of discovery (laughs) is just realizing you have to go deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole (laughs) until everything is about circulation, basically, for you anyway. For me. Hopefully not for everything. (laughs) It sounds like that's a common theme then, something that keeps you moving. 
Yes, I would say so, because when I'm not moving, I'm in pain pretty fast and I get dysfunctional soon after. So the good news is that Mike is naturally athletic and he has been willing to kind of go with it. So we have made a lot of changes in our lives and we have made it so that if I kind of need to keep moving anyways, we have, I think, done a pretty good job of making it fun most of the time. Like right now we're hiding out from the wildfire smoke in a place that has nice beaches and nice trails. And so we've tried to lean into it and make the best of it. And I think it's working out pretty well. I think we're sort of a three walk a day family and our dog can only come with us maybe two of those. So we're the only family where the dog needs to walk less than the people. (laughs) Sounds like a lucky dog. (laughs) (laughs) There's a number of our walks where Mike will be carrying the dog. I actually, now I've been carrying the dog a lot, yes, these days. And the other day he gave me a raging case of poison oak by carrying him. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but this is all part of it. I mean, this is how we stay moving and keep the circulation going. That's great. From the intro, we learned about Jill, that you're, you know, involved in all of these activities and research and things like that. So it seems like hardworking and ambitious are maybe some fair words to describe you. But Mike, what other terms would you use to describe Jill? Well, definitely hardworking and ambitious. I would say energetic. And she's one of those potsies that has a hyperadrenergic state. So it's a lot of energy. And if that energy gets sort of caged, that's when she gets miserable. And so very active and I'd say fast moving. I mean, I think that some of our family have a hard time following her because she talks very fast and moves very fast. So she's someone you need to keep up with. (laughs) That's a good description. Okay, so now let's get into your POTS journey a little bit. Can you tell us maybe where were you when you first started noticing symptoms? Was it something gradual or did it happen overnight? What was that like? Yeah, it was incredibly gradual. And the first time I noticed things, you know, looking back, I feel like it was all related. At the time, I didn't know what it was. But when I was 17 or 18, I had wisdom tooth surgery. And at the time, I was really into water skiing. I was kind of a very studious, nerdy high school student. And water skiing was my big thing that I was into. So I got my wisdom teeth out. And I didn't wait as long as they said I should wait before going water skiing in a lake full of algae and such. And I got a raging infection in my mouth. And after that, I was incredibly fatigued for a while and I wasn't myself. And at the time, I thought, oh, I'm just working hard. I'm doing a million things. I'm supposed to be fatigued. And I thought nothing of it. And then I went off to college where, you know, I met him and I basically had the time of my life and it was so stimulating and great that I think I didn't pause to think about the fact that I was having a hard time holding my head up in class. Again, it just made sense because I was busy and I was doing a lot and so I should be tired. But when I got to graduate school, I really couldn't hold my head up in class. And I would basically kind of slowly deflate during the lecture and get to the point where I was really coming close to passing out. And I had a few other symptoms that all just kind of gotten written off as nothing much, you know, rosacea for the facial flares and other little things. 
But at the time, you know, I thought I had just been a terrible judge of my interests. And I thought, oh my gosh, did I really go to a PhD program for something that bores me so much that I can't even keep my head up for a single class? And so I eventually left that PhD program with only a master's and thought that I was just the biggest idiot in the world. And it would be another few years, you know, because I pursued my interest in nutrition, became a nutritionist. And so again, I was kind of just super busy doing a million things that I loved and having some nice success. And it kept me so distracted that I think I kind of just kept ignoring all the little signs, the leg pain and the brain fog and things like that. And I would go to doctors. I just, you know, they would never find anything. So I figured I was just kind of being difficult or for a while, I was pretty sure I just didn't have my B vitamins right. And if I just could get those right, then I'd feel good. So anyway, there was a very long time of just little things that looking back, it was all part of it. But at the time, it never stood out enough to, to ring any bells. And so when you two met, you were maybe starting to show some symptoms? I didn't notice any symptoms at the time. I mean, I think that maybe in hindsight only. It wasn't until quite a bit later. So we got married in 2000 and we had known each other for at least six or seven years by then. And like I said, that same energetic person, you know, that's what she was then too. And so I didn't really detect anything, but only in hindsight. In hindsight, I think, yes, I can, I can see how there was a decline that had started. So then how did you end up getting diagnosed, Jill? Very slowly. <laughs> so it took me a long time to even start seeing doctors about what I thought was happening. And then it would take another 17 years. So my case study was actually written up. It's in the British Medical Journal and it talks about it. But yeah, it took 17 years. So when you ask, how did it happen? I mean, like, that's a long time, right? Everything happens. Misdiagnoses, adventures, joy, sorrow, laughter, tears. Like, it's just a really long time. <laughs> and, um... a, a lot of crazy theories on what it was. And, you know, some things that if they had been true would have been a quick and easy fix. But some other things that if they had been true would have been really terrible. I mean, we're talking, you know, a six month to live kind of terrible. It was all over the place. And it was really something that we spent a lot of time kind of putting our heads together on that. And it was really a puzzle that I think a lot of POTS patients go through, maybe less now because there's more resources out there, but certainly back then it, there, there just wasn't anything. And so it was just such a puzzle. Yeah, 17 years is one of the longer diagnoses that I've heard before. But you know what the breakthrough was? The breakthrough was that I got stung by a hornet. and. I took some antihistamines for it, and I felt quite a bit better in more ways than just the hornet sting. And so I did some research, and that led me to POTS with mast cell activation syndrome. And so I referred myself to the Mayo Clinic. I had already been to the Mayo Clinic a couple times, but I referred myself there again, and they confirmed it. And so I honestly have to thank that hornet, because they did more for me than everybody else I had seen up to that point. I remember that very well. And we were, of course, on a walk at the time because we're always on a walk. So we were on a walk when she got stung by the hornet. Then we went home and she took probably Benadryl or something like that. And then we were on another walk. And I remember her saying, you won't believe it. I actually feel okay. I and I was sweating. I had, I had yeah. stopped sweating for a few years and I was sweating again. That was a huge clue. That was such a weird way to get <laughs> on the right track. Yeah. Who would have thought you'd be thinking a hornet for your diagnosis? 
So during the 17 years where you're searching for answers and, and seeing all these doctors, did anyone ever suggest that it could be all in your head or that maybe you were making some of it up? Not for a while, but yes, eventually. So especially after I'd had a couple bad misdiagnoses and been on a couple of wild goose chases for things. And it really affected me. You know, my self-esteem, it started out pretty high because, you know, I was like little miss high achiever. But by little bits and little bits, as I realized that I couldn't shower and I couldn't stand up and I couldn't wear high heels anymore and I was making excuses to not go to things, you know, it just... A thousand little things. And then I think by the time a doctor suggested it was all in my head, I maybe had already told myself that. Other people that I am close to had suggested it, basically. And yeah, that was rough. Yeah. I mean, looking back was so noteworthy because her self-confidence went from, you know, maxed out to almost non-existent. And pretty fast. I'd say that whole process took place in a couple of years once things kind of got rolling. But it was sort of death by a thousand cuts, you know, so it, it kind of got there. And if we had skipped those two years and, and fast forwarded, we would have known that this was kind of out of control. But we got there little by little. I mean, I remember there was a point when I, I think we sort of felt like we kind of hit the bottom and bounced off it. And that's when we realized that we actually had hit the bottom or had kind of gone down the slope of sort of losing self-confidence. And well, not you, you've always had plenty, but me, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, but boy, I mean, like it, it was something that you definitely realize is gone when, once you sort of see it go kind of thing. So I think that in hindsight, it was so alarming, you know, to see that. Sure. Mike, was it obvious to you then that something was wrong with Jill? I mean, from the Jill you knew when you were first married to now, you know, after all these years trying to get a diagnosis, was it obvious to you that something was going on? I think so. I was just commenting earlier today, we were talking about this podcast we were going to do, and, and we were just chatting about things. And it's not like our marriage ever changed at all. Like, I feel like we are the same couple as we were 21 years ago when we got married. And that hasn't changed at all, which is crazy given how much everything else has changed. We've moved a dozen times and we've had- Because um, of POTS. Yeah, because of POTS. And we've had all of these changes, not just physically with symptoms and that kind of stuff, but these sort of psychological changes and then having to change the things that you love to do and you know all, all of that normal stuff that we hear about and went through all that. You know, Our marriage never went off the rail. In fact, I would say that it, it stayed- really the same, really the same, which is kind of remarkable looking back. But to answer your question, absolutely. I think the hardest part of the whole thing was that decline. Because once you've gone through that, now things are looking up. <laughs> and they have been looking up now for a long, long time. But that part, I think, was absolutely the toughest phase of this whole thing. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, for one thing, I was getting gradually worse. And so to be getting no answers and to think it was my fault and I was bringing it on myself somehow and I was letting everyone down. I had a beautiful, happy, wonderful little business. I was So I felt like I was letting down my employees and I felt like I was letting down my clients and I felt like I was letting down my family. And I really thought that, you know, there was a point after... 10 years of seeking a diagnosis where, you know, it had resulted in a misdiagnosis that told me I had six months left to live. And that turned out not to be right, where I just swore off doctors. And I said, okay, 
obviously there's nothing wrong with me. I've been to the Mayo Clinic. They've looked at everything. I'm just going to get it together. I'm just going to gut it out and I'm going to will myself good. And I really, really tried. And I tried that for seven years and it didn't work. And it kind of backfired in some ways. You know, I signed a lease for my office that turned out to be, you know, quite costly when I crashed. And You know, I tried to just keep being the person that I thought I should be able to be. And when it crashed and burned, it did so spectacularly. (laughs) You know, I just have memories of driving home from work. I had about a 20 minute commute and I'd have to pull over on the side of the road to lay down in the grass for a while so that I could then finish the drive home. I remember telling my, my assistant that I needed a few minutes before my next client. And I wouldn't tell her why, but I would just lay down on the floor with my feet up in the air. And I would think, okay, you got to get it together before you talk to the next person. You know, I was having a lot of really neat opportunities at work. And it absolutely killed me that I'd worked so hard to get to a point where I was getting those kinds of opportunities. But I knew that the reason I couldn't fulfill them was because I couldn't shower, like just the physical standing and showering to go give this presentation or to go do this TV interview. And to not have an explanation for why I couldn't do that stuff was the hardest part, because I basically just thought I must be losing my mind. Yeah. So I think that what I saw was somebody who was really gutting it out and just, you know, keeping up, doing, putting on the show. But she was falling into debt, I think. And then when she sort of decided to declare bankruptcy on that life, it was like an epic bankruptcy. And (laughs) and we haven't looked back. Like, I mean, you kind of left Pasadena out of desperation. Pasadena is extremely hot, terrible place for a person with pots. We moved and we've been moving to colder places ever since and never been back. I mean, it's like full bankruptcy on that life and just walk away. And that ended up being, I think, a really smart move. It was just impossible to even do it a little bit anymore. Right. And to be clear, we're not talking about financial bankruptcy. We're talking about just giving up on a lifestyle that was not working after clinging to it so long and so hard. Yeah. A little explanation might go a long way that I'm super duper heat intolerant. I'm super duper orthostatically intolerant. It got to be where even in a normal temperature, I couldn't really stay conscious. And so I had to stay kind of shivering cold in order to remain conscious. And so at that point, you know, the only way to stay that cold is to either be soaking wet. There is no cooling vest that keeps you cold enough or to move to Alaska, which is what we eventually did. Um, or better yet, be soaking wet in Alaska, which you did I, I many times. times. I mean, we would go for a walk in April in Alaska when it's cold, and she'd have a spray bottle with her to spray herself to stay even colder. We had a very cold house in Alaska, let me tell you. Wow, so Alaska's the place to move for pot symptoms, huh? Well, I'm embarrassed to say that because so I had made my poor family move from the hot city to the slightly cooler beach, which was not cool enough to the slightly cooler mountain, which was wonderful in winter, but still too hot in summer. And then to Alaska. I mean, this guy is such a good sport because we overhauled our life so many times out of desperation. And I think our families think we're crazy. And I mean, what a good sport. I mean, some of these things, like luckily Mike is not too tied to any one job. He doesn't actually care that much about job security. Luckily, he's got some skills that are in high demand. 
because he would quit jobs and up and move just so that I could have a shot at being more comfortable. But it did work. Those things did work. And, and Alaska was a huge step forward. We've since left Alaska. Alaska has some other issues, <laughs> namely around it, there's no sun in the winter. So anyway, it has some problems. But we found other cool places. And we're at one of them right now. It's in California, but it's just as cool as it is in Alaska, believe it or not. So I think that stuff actually really did make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mike, was that tough for you then to have to kind of, you know, move around for Jill to have to give up maybe parts of your life to move around? I mean, I think maybe I'm kind of unusual, but no, it actually was not. It's honestly been one adventure after the next, which is actually really kind of fun. I enjoy this stuff. I mean, I never would have ended up in Alaska, you know? Mike never wanted a conventional life, and he really enjoys solving tough, weird problems. And so I think I provided him a steady stream of tough, weird problems. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, he's an amazing attitude, an amazing attitude about all of it. You know, there was probably a 25 year period of things going downhill and getting gradually harder, but you know, we eventually found enough treatments that helped and lifestyles that worked that we've been on the upswing since and having a pretty good time. And when we can stick to our lifestyle, I feel great and I'm productive. I can do all kinds of neat work, many of which Mike helps make possible for me because he's a tech guy. But I think that at this point, you know, life is really, really good, which is almost shocking given how bad it was at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how long has it been since you were diagnosed officially? I was diagnosed officially in 2013, and then it took another three years of trying various treatments to find anything that actually helped. But then since then, between treatments and just trial and error and every day, you know, trying something new, whether it's new devices, new routines, new dietary things, just finding little things. And every day, if you can do another experiment and every month, if you find something that helps even 1%, that's a great month. And you just, you know, that's the process. And eventually it's a long life and we're kind of old now. And that process (laughs) has served us well. And being extremely defensive of the routine that you find that I think has been important for us because we do have a bunch of stuff that really works. Like we've stacked up a bunch of little wins And you put them all together and it's actually, everything works great. But it's a bit fragile because if something comes along and kind of messes that up, and I mean something like, well, wildfire season in California causes us to have to move around and scramble and all this kind of stuff. But even littler things like having house guests can really throw off the routine. And so we have to be really defensive of the routine and just attempt to, uh, that's kind of my job is to kind of run interference, I think, a little bit and try to try to make it so that we don't get too far away from what the comfort zone is. Because the comfort zone, we've dialed it in pretty well at this point, and it does really work. So it seems like being adaptable has really helped maybe in treating your pots, just with moving around and, and trying different treatments and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we always talk about pots on this podcast, obviously. But I think for so many of us, the key is that the POTS is coming with a few other things, right? (laughs) So for people, I know all the other patients out there totally get it. But for people who maybe forget, you know, a lot of POTS patients will also have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or joint hypermobility. 
My things are pretty severe mast cell activation syndrome. Hence, we are always, you know, running from wildfire smoke, things like that. And then the other weird one that I have along with the POTS is a delayed pressure urticaria angioedema. And so that means anytime I have pressure on one part of my body for too long, it will get some pain and swelling. So the combination, I know there's lots of patients who have like torturous combinations, but the joke of mine is that, so the POTS makes it hard to sit or stand upright for very long. The pressure urticaria angioedema makes it hard to sit or lay down in the same position very long because it gets swelling and pain. And so it's really kind of a juggling game to manage these various things that tend to come together. So I think that is why if there's people listening and who are saying, you know, I don't get it, it's it's because the POTS never comes alone, right? It always comes with other friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is often true. Have you found then that managing the other conditions helps your POTS? Yeah, hugely, Mm -hmm. especially the mast cell activation syndrome. And so, yep, that's a part-time job. But, you know, again, it's just routines and you dial them in. And for the most part, the stuff you can control goes well. And there's always stuff you can't control. And then you deal with it. And then what happens is you get a little bit cocky and you think, (laughs) oh, I've had a great month. I am going to celebrate with the other day. It was a bag of really fancy little organic coconut raw cookies or something like that. And she ate them with gusto and then swelled up and face flushed. And I think you didn't sleep for about two nights, actually. I think I vomited six times. You vomited a couple times. So there you go. Hence the routines. Penalized for excessive (laughs) celebration. So... Yeah, exactly. That goes back to sticking to the routines like you were talking about once you find something that works. Yep. So I know we're going to maybe do a separate episode about nutrition, so I won't get into too much detail about that now. But I have to ask, has nutrition played a role at all in how you treat your POTS or other conditions? Yeah, hugely. And I think that there's not a lot of research about nutrition for POTS per se, But there's a ton of research about nutrition for all the problems that come with POTS. Pain, exercise intolerance, energy, sleeping, autoimmunity, mast cell activation. So yeah, and I feel very fortunate that at least through all this, I can find the nutrition angle super interesting. So that that has been a blessing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you do a lot with, I know, the standing up to POTS board, and then you also do some nutrition consulting and work with some POTS researchers and stuff. How do you find that your symptoms play a role in that? Is it difficult to work while you have POTS symptoms? Not if I stick to the routine. My routine makes me, I mean, honestly, I feel like superwoman when I'm in my house and I have all my stuff. And, you know, just as one example, one of my work areas is actually a massage table so that if I want to, I can lay face down, look at a computer screen, type and bang out stuff. We're very lucky that I have a little swimming pool and I will work from the swimming pool. 
And Mike has changed some of my old in-office systems to make it possible for me to now actually do a lot of work from a phone or tablet while I'm walking or on a treadmill. And so no, the work has been a real blessing. And I feel like one of the only reasons I'm here today is because I had such great, meaningful distractions during the hard part. And I think that work was so meaningful and so interesting to me that I'm grateful to Mike for helping always make it possible. He always said, we have to make you able to give your gifts. And so he always made it so that whether he was doing something high tech for me, or he was making a treadmill desk, or you know whatever it was that he was helping make sure that I could keep on working. Because at heart, I'm, I'm kind of like a little workhorse. And as long as I've got an interesting, meaty project to work on, I can be pretty happy. And before I started sleeping, those things got me through a lot of nights. Nights are long and depressing if you're just trying to sleep, but if you can get up and work on a good project, then great. It's just a lot of extra time. So yeah, the volunteer work and non-volunteer work too has really been valuable to me. Mm -hmm. And one silver lining of the pandemic has been that there's no expectation of really doing anything in person anymore. At least, you know, there hasn't been for the last couple of years. And so not that we were doing that anyway. I mean, we had moved on to have this kind of remote existence and all that kind of stuff already. But still, it's made it so that to somebody that has her house set up just the way that she needs it with the comfortable spots and the, the workstations that meet all of those sort of stipulations, taking the pressure off from having to do really anything in person, much less travel somewhere, was actually kind of a blessing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think with the coronavirus, it's kind of helped a lot of us realize that we can do some of these things from home. And especially for those of us with POTS, that means maybe that I can lay down for a couple of minutes between meetings and things that I wasn't able to do from the office. So I think that's been huge for people with POTS and other chronic illnesses. Mike, it sounds like you've been really involved in POTS and in helping Jill with the app and then all of these things that you've created for Jill. What made you decide to kind of get involved in that and participate and learn more about POTS and, and help in all these ways and create the app for other people too? Well, I mean, it really hasn't, it hasn't been a choice, really. The thing about POTS that I think a lot of people maybe don't understand, people that don't have it and aren't really familiar with it, is, is how constant it is. The idea of me being blissfully unaware of what was going on with her was pretty impossible to comprehend. So there was that. However... I will say that getting involved and working as a team with Jill on something, we do this all the time. I mean, this is just kind of our thing. We do this for fun. We always get together and do things together. And we like challenges and, you know, we, we like doing physical challenges together or climbing a mountain, whatever it happens to be, but also mental ones. And so this is kind of the ultimate challenge. I mean, dealing with a chronic illness that does not leave and is just sort of at you all the time is a pretty meaty challenge. And so that's just the way that we do it, you know, in our family is try to put our heads together on this kind of stuff. That's great. I have to say, I love the doodle through cartoons that you guys create too. I find all of them so relatable and I imagine a lot of other people do too. So thank you for creating those and sharing them with us too. Well, thank you. I think we get high marks for relatability. We get low marks for quality of drawing. I'm the drawer. She's the relater. So we get very high marks on relatability and very amateur marks on everything else, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I think the drawing's fantastic. That's what makes them so cute. 
So, Jill, now I'd like to play our lightning round game with you where I'm going to ask you a quick question and you just give maybe a short answer, whatever first comes to your head. What is your favorite way to get salt? On steamed zucchini. I find it super hydrating. What drink do you find the most hydrating? Vegetable soup. How many doctors have you seen for POTS? Too many. How many other POTS patients have you ever met face to face? Three, I believe. What is one word that describes what it's like living with a chronic illness? The mature side of my brain is saying perspective changing. (laughs) But the immature part of my brain is quoting Bart Simpson (laughs) and saying craptacular. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. If we could get one celebrity to be the spokesperson for POTS, who should it be? Oprah. What is something that brings you comfort or joy? This guy right here. (laughs) What is something you're proud of? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I I don't feel proud of much anymore. I just feel lucky. We were talking about this one earlier, too. I mean, having the grit to get through what, you know, you were put through the last, what, what did we say, 25 years, something like that, you should be proud of. But I guess your point was, yeah, but I didn't have a choice. Well, my point was that, like, I used to be the kind of person who'd be, like, proud of, like, awards or whatever. And I feel like now, because my perspective has changed so much, and I don't feel like I deserve blame for not achieving, you know, I think I do better work and I work harder now, but I achieve less because of circumstances. I mean, I guess I I have come to feel like I have more faith that everybody's trying their hardest. Everyone's doing the best they can. So pride doesn't apply. It just doesn't apply. I guess so. I guess I feel like if I'm not going to take blame for what I can't do or won't do now, then I don't get to claim pride for what I do do. Okay. That's an interesting perspective. I think for all of us, though, what we are proud of can maybe shift. I mean... For those of us, you know, who have chronic illnesses, maybe we're not able to do the same things that we were previously doing, but there's new things to be proud of, I think, every day. And I think, you know, for you, Jill, just to chime in, that you've participated in a lot of research. You've, you know, worked hard with other POTS researchers. I've seen your name on quite a few research studies. So I think that's definitely something to be proud of. Well, thank you. I think the thing that if I was going to pick something to be proud of, I'm I'm proud that I still have a sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good one. (laughs) That's a good one. And I'm sure Mike would be proud, too, that you've been a really good partner for the last, what did we say, 21 years that you've been married? Yeah, I'm I'm proud that our relationship has not changed. And it's it certainly hasn't regressed through all this. And it's it's the same as it ever was, despite having a lot of things thrown at us. So Well, I'm proud of him because he did have a choice. I did not have a choice about dealing with all this stuff. And if I could have ditched this situation, that is me, I definitely would (laughs) have. And so I'm proud, grateful that he is so great. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Sorry for that tangent. Back to the game. If you could choose to have one superpower, what would it be? Flying, because because maybe that would be better than getting on an airplane. I think it would be sitting. Oh, yes. Does that count sitting. as a superpower? Yes, it does. For you, it would be a total superpower. Sitting. Yes. <laughs> yep. Honestly, you are probably more likely to start flying than you are to start sitting. So. 
<laughs> either one. I'm happy with either one. What is something you would give to every POTS patient if you had infinite funds? A swimming pool with whatever kind of system they need for their immune system not to freak out. So mm. probably not chlorine. What is something you are grateful for? I am grateful for so many things, but I'm really grateful for this community because having been around before this community existed and after this community existed, things are so much better now. And this community is so kind and generous. And I'm grateful to every person who ever answered my question on Facebook or other social media. I'm just grateful for the warm, caring, kind people out there. Him too, but I'm probably sounding like a broken record. <laughs> Finish this sentence. People might suspect you're a potsy when... My favorite piece of furniture is the dog bed. It's <laughs> a good one. I was going to say something about like laying on the floor of, you know, the Delta Airlines terminal at Midway or something like that. But yeah, that's good too. I'm sure our listeners can relate to both of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's it for the lightning round. Thank you for participating. I know that being married and having, you know, this chronic illness to deal with in the relationship must present some challenges, but have there been any silver linings that you think that baby Potts has actually brought to your relationship? Yeah, definitely. Definitely learned that we don't have to follow any social norms, any social conventions, I think, to one another, but also as a couple. Yeah. We, yeah. And that maybe you're better off if you don't. I mean, I think that a breakthrough for us was just deciding that if it's something that normal people do, it's probably not for us. And so look elsewhere. What do you wish more people knew about POTS? POTS is a member of a team. There's so many things that go along with POTS and, and POTS is one of the easier of them to test. And so it tends to be out front a little bit. There are tests for it. There's the tilt test and there, it's, it's fairly well structured what you would do to diagnose it. But there's all this other stuff that I think affects you in all kinds of other ways. And you put all that together and you have just a hot mess of maybe 20 syndromes or something like that. I mean, it's all of this stuff. And not everybody has all, all yeah. of them. Some people just have POTS. But yeah, I think sometimes even with this audience, where I know this is the most sympathetic, understanding audience I'm ever going to have, and yet still it's kind of hard to say, oh yeah, I've got 20 POTS symptoms, and then on top of that I have all these mast cell symptoms, and then on top of that, I, you know, and it almost... It, it's like you can start to gaslight yourself because it's almost unbelievable what all can be bundled up in this package. Mm -hmm. And yet it is. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And we're all so different too that it's, it's hard to even make comparisons. I think we're almost out of time. So I have just one more question for each of you. Jill, is there any advice or any tips you would give to somebody who was newly diagnosed? Don't give up and don't blame yourself. And Mike, what about you? Is there anything that you would say to partners of people who were just diagnosed with POTS? I guess I kind of feel like it could be that you're on the upswing. When I say you, I mean you and your POTS spouse or your POTS partner. In hindsight, we were on the upswing faster than we thought. And there is an upswing for sure. And I think Jill and I have seen kind of this full life cycle of what it's like to go through this whole process. The upswing is very satisfying because it's an improvement that you get. You get an improvement almost every day, and it's great. 
And so th- that upswing is, is coming and it's there. And I feel like it's it's something that really is kind of a uh, it's kind of a brighter day, you know, once you get to that. I think that's great advice. Thank you both so much for participating in the podcast. I think it was really great to get the perspectives of both of you in this episode. So I really appreciate you both contributing. And hey, listeners, remember, this is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you because we're all so different. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again soon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, www.standinguptopots.org slash podcast. And I would add, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to suggest, send them in. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots.